Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to our service of worship this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. Joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above.
was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. Our God has
Father, we have come today to experience you in deeper ways, to worship you, to open our hearts to you. We thank you that your spirit is here. You promised that. We pray that you'll help us to be open to your spirit as we sing and give and read your word and and proclaim your word. We pray, Father, that your spirit will speak into our lives. We ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. One quick um, word for you in the bulletin. There's an announcement about Children's Church over the summer. And uh, there are some sign-up sheets in the back. I think you can also access the form online. Uh, if, you can, if you can help out and materials are ready for you, uh, that would be a great help to uh, a way to give to our children. Also some need for some Sunday school teachers in a few weeks as, a few weeks as well. And you see a, a note about that as well. Good morning, church. Part of the church church worldwide. Uh, I'm here to share exciting news about uh, uh, what God has done and is doing in faith promise. Um, You have an insert in your bulletin, so I might just suggest you get that out. You can uh, follow along. You'll see better pictures than what we're going to show. Our God is great and he's faithful. And so the big news, I even hinted it a couple weeks ago, that the goal for our current faith promise year has been surpassed. And the year ends on May 31st, so we're over the top, which is a a miracle of God's doing. Uh, The goal was surpassed, and our church giving for ministry outside our church walls has increased over the last half dozen years. Um, Faith promise giving has been a large part of that increase. Faith promise is not really about us. It's about God's faithfulness through us. That's what faith promise giving is. It is trusting God to supply 
above and beyond, I think that's written here somewhere, above and beyond our regular church stewardship. I mean, anything accomplished in the church is the work of the Holy Spirit through us, not just our doing. Our regular church tithes and offerings goes to missions at home and abroad to the tune of about $110,000 in the coming year. But some time ago, we knew God could do more through us for missions. And faith promise giving unleashed that. We don't actually have a matching gift donor to back our promise. (laughs) We have God. uh, A generous and surprising God who provides for over $140,000 per year for uh, missions giving because of faith promise. And God gets all the glory. Faith promise is about people. People on the front lines. It's not just about projects. It's about these wonderful people you see in your bulletin. They're the hands and feet of Jesus. Our church supports several dozens of missionaries, but our Faith Promise teamers are those serving our Wesleyan church family near and far with the full spectrum of holistic and evangelistic uh, means in Buffalo, New York, the Czech Republic, in Haiti, in Sri Lanka, in Australia, and in the whole region of uh, uh, Asia. This is an amazing team, and I wish you could hear the stories. And we try to put them out in a monthly mission mailbag or post it out by the big bulletin board. Each, uh, each week, news comes. And there are ways you can keep in touch with them. Uh, they, Austin's and the Strands actually have been an intimate part of our church, as you well know. So the part of this team is really us. So, we will receive the Faith Promise pledges on May the 21st, two weeks. And uh, this little tear-out on the insert is what you could pray over in the next few weeks and see what God wants to do through you, through your vision of what God wants to do. And we do like to hear stories about how God has provided in this year or in previous years. And I'm just begging you, if you would, to send me an email or to the church office and tell us just the story of how God miraculously supplied that. My wife and I can tell you the story that each year we kind of look at it and say, well, we're retiring and, you know, Social Security and, uh, and uh, the new tax system and uh, will we have enough students in our house and boom, the church hires me half time. Well, now what do I do with my faith promise? Up it goes. You know, God just... God does amazing things. What has he done through you? Let's let's step out in faith. William Carey, the great pioneer missionary in the 19th century, said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. So be praying about faith promise. Thanks. God bless. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has blessed us with. death surrendered to the mighty cross of Jesus Christ the earth would shake beneath the weight of darkened skies on his right 
as we uh, continue in worship, spend some time praying together. If you'd like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, I invite you to join me. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that uh, though Jesus died, you raised him to life. And in the season of Easter, we see once again the power of the resurrection. We pray that that truth and that power would live in us. Father, we come today knowing that you... You love for us to, to bring to you uh, our, not only our praise and our thanksgiving, but also our burdens and our concerns. And so we do just that. We pray today, Father, for all who are grieving. And we think especially of Lori Dashnow and her family at the death of her father this week. We pray that your Holy Spirit of comfort and peace would be upon them. Father, we pray for people struggling with health concerns. We pray for Chuck Barrett, Brian Masson, Joe Breton, Cheryl O'Brien, Storer Emmett, Ben King, Doris Sepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Buker, Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our hearts and our minds today. Father, we pray for the everyday events of our lives as we think about the financial concerns we have and the relationship concerns, and we think about the future that is before us. Some of us are facing decisions about next steps in our lives, and we pray that you would give peace and wisdom in every one of those decisions. Father, we thank you for the ministries of this church, and we continue to pray that you will help us to be a church who which we love one another and we love others. We teach one another and we share your grace with others. We also pray for the churches around us. And today we pray for Christ Church in Cuba. Pastor Hamlin, pour out your spirit upon this body of believers that they would know your grace and share that grace with each other and with their community and beyond. Father, we pray for our nation. And we ask that you would continue to help us to be a nation that is more and more concerned about following you and united in you. We pray, Father, for people all over the world who are struggling with life. We pray for refugees and in the struggle that they have. We pray, Father, for people dealing with recent disasters and violence. And even this week, we've seen a lot of flooding in even our nation. So many things in other nations of the world. We think of places of war and violence and persecution and threats. And we ask for your grace in each situation. Father, we pray for your church in this world. We pray for those who are going out to serve you even in the next few weeks and this summer on trips to various countries, various places of the world. We ask for your grace upon each group, each person. 
We pray, Father, for Stephen Ruth Strand, who are serving in Buffalo. And as they work there in a variety of ways, we ask that your spirit would, be, would empower them and strengthen them for the task before them. And Lord, we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution and opposition every day. We pray for Pastor Ko and his family in Malaysia. Father, we pray that, that you will help him, strengthen him in his captivity. And we ask that your grace and through your mercy, you would, he would be released. We pray that you would give his family your peace and your comfort. And we pray you would give to him strength to, to be the kind of witness to those who have captured him that might turn their hearts toward you. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers today. You are generous beyond what we could ever begin to count or mark. We ask, Father, that you will help us to see you and to know you in every moment of life. And we give you thanks for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us in his death and made life a reality through his resurrection. And who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Following the scripture reading, children in children's church and junior church may be dismissed. I invite all who are able to join me in standing for the gospel reading. Reading from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. So loved this sinful world, his only son he freely gave that whosoever should be eternal life should have. I was a wayward one. I was a slave to sin and fear, 
Please be seated. We all struggle with fears. Might be different, but all of us struggle with some kind of fears. I was looking at uh, this past week, looking at common fears. Uh, 
what tends to come up are things like fear of heights, fear of falling, fear of flying. There seems to be a pattern there that I see developing. Uh, fear of the dark. Fear of dentists seems to come up a lot. That seemed to be the only occupation that people were afraid of. Uh, fear of spiders. Fear of snakes. Those are two of the common animal fears that people have. Fear of death, of course, is one of those fears. What's interesting is that, contrary to what you might think, the fear of death ends up usually down the list a little bit. And and it made me think of a, a little bit that I saw Jerry Seinfeld do one time, where he said he read a survey that said that the, the number one fear of the average person is public speaking. And he said, death is the second most common fear. He said, death is number two above public speaking. And he said, that makes me think that for, if you have to go to a funeral, the average person would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But you know, there are other kinds of fears that we have as well. There are those deeper fears that get into us and drive us. The fear of intimacy, which I think is rooted in the fear of being rejected. The fear of abandonment. The fear of being alone. The fear of failure. We all struggle with some kind of fear, both these kinds of external fears and the kinds of internal fears. And the thing about fear is that it can so easily drive our lives. We make decisions because of things we're afraid of. Or we don't make decisions because of things we're afraid of. Fear can drive us. And, and you see that. I, I see it. If you paid attention to, well, you could go back a ways, but particularly this last uh, election cycle. If you watch the, the advertisements, if you listen to the speeches, you can see underneath all of it what's driving it is if we can make people afraid then we'll get their votes. And so the messages tend to be not so much, here's what I'm for, as if you vote for that person, look out. If you vote for this person, life is going to fall apart as you know it. And it's fear that drives it. Fear so often drives how we think about our possessions and and people we love, our relationships, and what we do. We, we, get, we, get, we don't even realize it, I think, a lot of the time. But underneath the, the way we live, fear is driving so much of what we think and how we think and what we do and what we don't do. And often, fear paralyzes us. It causes us to not do what we should do. It causes us to be afraid to take steps of things. You think about things in your life that you have thought, I've always wanted to do that. Why haven't you? I suspect somewhere in that process, there is a fear. We all wrestle with it. The problem is, fear is not just about our our lives in general Fear also gets into how we think about our relationship as followers of Jesus Christ. And fear 
is not of God. Now, yes, Scripture talks about fearing God, but that's talking about awe and worship and respect. It's not talking about the kind of fear that paralyzes us, the kind of fear that that leads us to actions that don't look anything like Jesus. Remember last week, if you were here, Will spoke about the parable of the talents. And and in that parable, Jesus commends the two people who take risks, who aren't afraid to risk. And he condemns the one man who is afraid to risk. You see how fear drives the decision. And on the night of Jesus' resurrection... John tells us that the disciples are all together and they're in a room that's locked. The doors are locked because they are afraid. They're afraid of the Jewish religious leaders who just crucified Jesus. Is their fear, is their fear something that they shouldn't have? No, it's a very real fear. The threat is very real. They've just watched Jesus, their leader, the one who they thought was the Messiah... They just watched him be crucified by those very same people. And even though that morning there is this this whole thing about the tomb being empty, they don't get it. They don't understand it. They can't figure it out. And it might have even made them more afraid. But here they are huddled in this room with the doors locked in fear. And Jesus steps into into the room. When we're afraid, we tend to do one of two things. We, we tend either fight or flight. That, that instinct in us tends to arise and we either run or we fight. You think about there are different animals that do different things. I was out this morning or the, earlier this week in the morning and I saw some deer in the, in the field out where I was running. And they stood there and you could see them watching me. But eventually, as I got close enough to them, they took off. But if I were to encounter a bear or a lion, hopefully not a lion here, but, you know, there is a good sense, or sometimes a, uh, you know, some some breeds of dogs, when when they're frightened, they bare their teeth and slash their claws. And Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us, I don't want either one of those things to drive you. The disciples think that the, that the, re, the way to address their fear is to escape it, to seclude themselves off, to close the doors, to lock the doors, and that will make them safe. I mean, I was thinking about it, even as we were just reading the scripture this morning, the door was locked. Like, that's going to keep out the Roman soldiers? If they want to get in, they're going to get in. They have ways of doing that. I read about a a guy who worked for a a business that sold uh, security and locks and all these things for people. And he said, people would come in and they want to buy the best deadbolt lock. They want to buy the best secure lock they can. They they want to buy all these things. They want the best uh, equipment they can get. He said, it hit me one day that what these people are trying to buy is security. What they really want is to eliminate completely the risk. The reality is you can't simply can't. 
And Jesus' answer to our fears is not to say, look, guys, come with me. We're going to separate ourselves off from the rest of the world. We're going to run from the, the threat. Nor is his response to say to them, all right, guys, come together. Let's take up swords. We're going to fight for this thing. His answer to their fears is simply to be present with them. And when they see him, John tells us, they're filled with joy. Do they understand everything that's going on? Not not at all. But they see Jesus, and that changes everything. I think our tendency, again, fight or flight, and you see it all the time. We We see people who say that the option in our world, our culture, in our world, that is fighting against the faith is to circle the wagons and let's see if we can keep ourselves away from it. Or you see people aggressively going after people who oppose them. We're going to fight this thing. We're going to take this to the death. We're going to do everything we can to crush them. And that's how we will get rid of it. Jesus says, while there's a time to be wise and maybe to run a little bit isn't the worst thing, and there is a time to stand up, but the primary thing that the disciple that turns their fear to joy is seeing Jesus. I think for us, we see Jesus most readily by reading the scriptures. By being reminded of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. We need that. That's one of the reasons why the spiritual disciplines are so important. Is because they keep Jesus in front of us. They keep the truths of who God is and what Jesus has done in front of us. And we need to be daily, moment by moment, reminded. We do this by prayer as we listen to God. As we speak to God and encounter Him. We do it through worship. I was thinking about this as we were singing this morning and, and, and thinking about the words of the songs that we were singing and the powerful message they send to us. And, and we, we sing the same songs over, you know, not every week, but we repeat them because the message needs to continually be drilled into us. And there are new songs that are sung that nuance the same words, but we need to hear it and see it in worship. That's one of the reasons why I think the church calendar is so important. Every season of the church calendar is, is one another, another way of focusing our attention on Jesus. Because we tend to think that worship is about us. The reality is, worship is about Jesus. It's about seeing Jesus, hearing Jesus, focusing our attention on Jesus. And then, Jesus speaks into us. But if our focus is on us then it will, all be, it will all be about me and not Jesus. We need to see Jesus, experience Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just, they don't just see Jesus. They could see Jesus and stay locked in the room. But Jesus says to them, now that you've seen me, now that you've experienced me, now that you, you've had a sense of the joy that I bring to you, I have a word for you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. You go. I think the disciples were, I mean, I would have been a little taken back by that. Jesus, it's safe here. We want to be safe. And Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, it's never about being safe. 
It's about trusting me. It's about taking risks. It's about stepping out in faith. It's about being my agents of, of the kingdom in, to people around you. And that means he is sending them and he's sending us right back into the teeth of the things that frighten us. I mean, they're going to have to open the doors and walk out under the streets of Jerusalem. And they're going to go into the synagogue and they're going to talk about Jesus and they're going to pay a price for that. But that's what followers of Jesus do. And it's rooted in a, in a sense of trusting that Jesus is greater than our fears. That Jesus is greater than the threats that come against us. He has risen from the grave. He is the conquering king. And we can trust him. And so we go. I was watching one of those police dramas, I don't know, a few months ago. And two police officers were talking to each other. Some, some uh, I think it was a bank robbery or something that happened. And, and they were trying to... to to remedy the situation while they were wanting everybody else to get out of the place of danger. And, uh, and the younger officer said to the more experienced one, it, I hate that. I, I want to run with them. And he said, I understand that. But our job as police officers is to run into danger while everybody else is running away from it. And there is something of that in our faith. That we trust God enough. And we believe that Jesus has conquered. That we run wherever he leads us. We go wherever he directs us. Even though that often means going right back into the things that we fear the most. And we do it because we believe God is greater. I think this is a reality much more for so many other people in the world than it is for us. Every week we pray for the persecuted church. We pray for people who live with this kind of, of fear and, and threat every single day of their lives. And they understand it, I think, better than we do. But nevertheless, Christ calls us to go and to be agents of the kingdom. Into the very places often that create the most fear for us. It is intriguing to me that when Jesus sends them, he says, now when you go, there's one thing I want you to do. There are lots of things that he could have had them do. Lots of things here that he could have said, here are things you want you to do when you go. But in this moment, he says, there's one thing I want you to do. I want you to be agents of forgiveness. Why forgiveness? All kinds of things he could have said. I want, you to be, I want you to go and speak the truth. I want you to go and, and heal people. I want you to do all these different things. But he says here in this one moment, I want you to be agents of forgiveness. I think it's because fear is often tied to people hurting us. And the one thing that they need and that we need to offer is forgiveness. But I also think this is something bigger than just me forgiving you or you forgiving me. This is about the church. This is a word to the larger church. That our presence in the world is to be a presence of forgiveness. A presence of 
for Christ and what Christ has come to do. Because Jesus makes it very clear. He says he has come to, to offer forgiveness to the world. And often fear is connected to our sins, the sins that we commit against each other and the sins that people commit against us. And the one thing people are not expecting is forgiveness. They're expecting fight and they're expecting flight. They're not expecting forgiveness. No one expected Jesus on the cross to say, Father, forgive them. It sets him apart from everyone else. And the spirit of forgiveness sets us apart from everybody else. We go into the world to be agents of forgiveness. And this passage is is confusing, particularly when you look at that 23rd verse. And he says, if you forgive people's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive their sins, they're not forgiven. And that has confused people probably since Jesus first said it. And I don't really have the answer for you of exactly what, especially that second part of it he's talking about. But I do know this, we do not forgive people's sins. Jesus does. At the same time, we are agents of Jesus' forgiveness. There is something powerful about looking someone in the eye and saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And there's something powerful about someone doing that for us. When Jesus appeared to the disciples, he showed them his wounds so that they would know it was him. And when they saw him, they rejoiced. And and the church is the living presence of Christ in this world. And people need to see Jesus in us. And one of the messages of Jesus, it doesn't say everything about what we're to do, but one of the messages of Jesus is to be a word of forgiveness to people. People understand hate. People understand violence. People understand vindictiveness. But what people need to hear is forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. It appears in what Jesus says here that we have this amazing power in our hands to either set people free or to crush them. And it's as if we sit back and think, Okay, I, I think your repentance is legitimate, so you're forgiven. Or to say, mm, I'm not feeling it, you're not forgiven. I do not think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I don't know exactly what he means by saying that if we don't forgive people's sins, they're not forgiven. There is something in that that simply acknowledges, at the very least, it acknowledges that not everybody wants the forgiveness that Jesus offers. But it is the church, not just us as individuals, it is the church speaking to the world that Jesus has died to forgive you. He has risen from the grave to give you victory over the sins that enslave you and and the fears that hold you captive. This is the message that we have. Eugene Peterson, in the message, you know, in the unique way he says things, says that, that if you don't forgive sins, people's sins, what are you going to do with them? Well, think about that for a little bit. I'm not sure exactly how he gets that from that passage, but it is a unique thought. 
If we refuse, as either individuals or the church, to forgive people's sins, what are we going to do with them? Here's the thing. I am certainly glad that Jesus doesn't wait for me to get into the right place before he forgives me. I am eternally grateful that he offers forgiveness to me even when I'm not in the right place. Even when I'm struggling. And it's from that spirit of gratitude that God has given us that we as a church, as the church, become the agents of forgiveness of Jesus. It is imperative to understand that in this, in this risk that God takes in putting us in this position of being agents of forgiveness, it is imperative to understand that before Jesus says that, he says to the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathes on them. It makes me think of, of creation. Genesis chapter 2. God creates man from the, from the earth. And he breathes life into him. And he comes alive. It makes me think of Ezekiel 37. Where God says, what do you see? And he says, I see this valley of bones. And God begins to put those bones together. And he puts skin on them. But they're lifeless until he breathes life into them. And they become living people. And now in this upper room, Jesus breathes on the disciples and the spirit, his spirit comes alive in them and they become alive and they live by the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. How do we know how to be agents of forgiveness in this world? Because the Holy Spirit fills us. And we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We want what the Spirit wants. We listen to the Spirit. We engage the Spirit. We do what the Spirit calls us to do. And that changes the dynamic of us being agents of forgiveness in the world. There is some discussion about the two, the different perspectives that John has here in this chapter and that Luke describes in in Acts chapter 2. In, in John here, he says the Holy Spirit comes upon them on the day of the resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, he says the Holy Spirit comes upon them 50 days later on the day of Pentecost. And scholars try to remedy that situation, and I don't know that they can, because neither one acknowledges the other one. It seems to me that perhaps what the writers of Scripture are simply telling us is that the Holy Spirit coming into our lives is not a one-time event. It is all the time. It is again and again and again and again and again. And yes, there may well be moments like Pentecost or like this moment where there is an extraordinary experience with the Spirit. And those are powerful moments for us. But we live not in those extraordinary moments, but in every day. And what we need is an awareness of the Holy Spirit today, tomorrow, this afternoon, this evening, next week, next month, all of our lives. We live in openness every single day to the power of the Spirit. It's the only way we can be agents of Christ, agents of forgiveness. People who sense the Spirit, who trust Christ in the midst of our fears. Of course, all of this conversation in the upper room is possible because 
Jesus is risen. It is the resurrected Christ who walks into that room. And when we understand that we live for the resurrected Christ, the one who has conquered death, the one who has walked into the, to everything that evil has to throw at him, and he conquers, it changes everything. Do we still have fears? Of course we do. Fears are human. We, we will never get away from feeling fear. But what we do in the midst of those fears, we can trust because Christ has conquered. And we know, we know where, what Christ has promised us. We know who God is, and we know what Christ has done, and we know what he's promised us. And even when we walk into the fears, as millions of his people have done through the ages, and even when, we succumb, when people succumb to death, we know that Christ is still greater. Because Jesus has won. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. But it is the core of the gospel. It is the core of everything we believe. Jesus wins. And when we know Jesus wins, we can walk into our fears with confidence. Not in ourselves, but in him. Changes everything. Steve Lindick said, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's fear. What keeps us from being the people God has called us to be? Most of the time, it's not doubt, it's fear. What keeps us from being agents of forgiveness in this world? It's not doubt, it's fear. And Christ has conquered our fears, our threats. And the call is to trust him, to believe it's true, and to live as if we believe it's true. For the better part of the first half of the 16th century, Martin Luther waged a battle against all kinds of forces. He waged a battle of reformation of the church. He fought all kinds of enemies. He lived with constant threats on his life. He lived a life of great stress and expectation as he translated the scriptures into German, the common language of the people. And he wrote theological treatises and he, and he taught other pastors. And, and, and he, he did so much. But he also talked about his struggle with fears. Sometimes he was overwhelmed with fear. Overwhelmed with the burden of what he was, that he sensed God calling him to do. And there were days when he was greatly discouraged, even depressed, I think. And one of the things that often brought him out of those difficult moments, out of his fears, he said was music. He, one of the things he did in the Reformation was to bring congregational singing back into the church that had been pretty much absent for about a thousand years. He said, music is of God, and the things of God defeat the evil one. He said, the devil cannot stand 
when Christians sing the music of God because it makes them cheerful. And so he began, he wrote numerous hymns. His most famous hymn begins, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The third verse of that hymn says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word, one little word shall fell him. That word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. So let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. But God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen. Please stand as we sing together. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper here amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel weight. On earth is not his
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.